This is The Bubble. It is a dreary day in the south coast of Massachusetts. He is Mike Bonner. I am Montana Samuels. And to go along with the rainy weather, Mike has told me about his latest favorite show. One of his favorite shows. Oh, man. Guys, we have an announcement to make. Mike watches Downton Abbey. It is so good. I did not. I reluctantly <laughs> went into the Downton Abbey uh, viewing. Yeah. My girlfriend wanted to watch it. And I was like, ah, all right. That's I'm good. on like season three. And we started like two weeks, three weeks ago. So Benedict Cumberbatch is not in Downton Abbey. Not that I know of. What I'm, show is he in? I have no idea. I, I, I don't know, but he's not in it because I actually like, weirdly enough, some Game of Thrones, for example. Yeah. I know all of the characters. I don't know their names. Downton, okay. I know all their names. All right. I know. So Benedict Cumberbatch, he's not part of. Not part of. Oh, man. That's a bummer. I, for the longest time, I thought that was the show he got known for. Anyway, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch aside, off to the side now. Um, we have a couple of things that we wanted to talk about today. Oh, he's, Benedict Cumberbatch is an actual person. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was going to be talking about a character. Maybe he is in Downton Abbey. I don't know. I, I didn't know that <laughs> was a, I didn't know that was a human <laughs> being. I thought you were talking of a character's no, no, name. No, no. No. Uh, I, he doesn't look like somebody that was on there. Okay. I'm looking at his face right now. I don't, I don't see it. Will someone tell us the show that made Benedict Cumberbatch famous, please? It looks like he was part of the Grinch, maybe. No, it wasn't that. I don't know. Anyway, someone tell us what show Benedict Cumberbatch was in. Today on the pod, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of Sherlock. things about the media. Sherlock. It's Yeah, it's not the same show. Sherlock. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> okay. A um, couple of media-related things. Um, one sort of new political story that we thought was really interesting. Um, and that's sort of what we're going to start with. So Claire Malone of 538 published a piece a dateline on this on the 22nd um titled the young left's anti-capitalist manifesto and essentially it lays out the um new demographic of the democratic party that is largely based off of a gallup poll that says in 2018 um younger people are more positive about um about uh, socialism than they are capitalism and in it she sort of she speaks to sean mcelwee mcelwee we haven't quite figured out the pronunciation of his name we'll just sorry. call him sean sorry sean um but there we go um you are struggling i'm struggling with the levels i'm You're struggling sick, with the voice by the way guys i'm sick i got tea here it's gonna be a long pod but i'm, I'm playing hurt you know playing hurt i'm sure you are <laughs> But anyway, um, Mike and I found this interesting just because it, she did a really good job of laying out a couple of the key components of this new segment of the party that we found interesting. Yeah, I thought it was it was an interesting story that <clears throat> I, I difficult to digest it because it kind of talks a lot about extreme left. Yeah. And compared to the extreme right. And I could be entirely wrong on this, but I just, extremes seem difficult. Uh, it, it almost seems hypocritical in a way that people who are complaining about one extreme then voice their opinion for another extreme. And maybe they're right. I'm not saying they're wrong. 
I don't know, but one of the reasons I think the extreme left says the extreme right is wrong is because it's a small percentage of the population Mm -hmm. and their ideas don't go through the entire population here. I think it's the same thing. I think they may have some really great ideas, Mm -hmm. um, but to label them as extreme or go to one side, again, you're, I think we've seen a lot of independence in the country and to say you're an extreme left, I don't think that, I don't think that represents the entire population as well. So I think pushing those ideas is certainly, and they talk a lot about that's the the whole point is just get those ideas out there. Um, A lot of extreme ideas have been pushed by extremists, whether it was abolition of slavery, the new deal, um, civil rights. So that makes a lot of sense in my mind. Uh, but yeah, I, I just get a little uncomfortable when you're talking about extremes because extreme anything yeah. is difficult. So one of, one of the things um, I kept coming back to was sort of what this movement was generated in response to. And I thought one of the really interesting points was um, when they started, when she wrote about um, a few sources in the story's response to the 2008 financial crisis, right? Because a lot of this has to do with economics. And I think, um, obviously, the 2008 financial crisis hit a lot of people hard. Um, but there was a Mike Consul. He was quoted in the story. He's an economic fellow at the Roosevelt Institute. Um, one of the things he said stood out to me because it, it like sort of articulated their point for them, right? It was like, we are doing this in response to what we see as things that have been happening and people have become apathetic towards and not making change. And what he said was about the system of economics prior to the 2008 collapse. He said there wasn't a big problem with the economy itself. It was just that some people were excluded from it. And I think what they're at least trying to brand themselves as, right? We can't really speak into the inner workings of the party and like what their true intentions are, right? I think this is like, they've been, this has been written about before, but I think this is the first like outsider look into it. Um, it seems like they're trying to brand themselves as like a correction, right? Rather than like a, um, like a, a re hmm. rather than being something that's like, we are coming in and we're, well, they somehow want to, I think correction's a good word. They want to tear everything down, but they want to do it more in like a corrective vein. Correct. It was like, correction's a good word to use. This has been a problem for everybody except for this segment of people let's get it back to right here and i i feel like that i don't know to to me what i'm getting with it is they think that that seems extreme to people because things have been so wrong for so long no and i think the i think here's where the the <clears throat> the different attitude comes in i'm not sure how many people would say that's necessarily wrong mm-hmm. it's just to kind of go back to our conversation uh way back about the parkland social media aspect sure. where Things don't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. I think in this article it says, you know, if this doesn't work in a couple of years, then we'll just right. pack up shop and leave. Well, I that doesn't really make any sense on any level to me because say it does work in three years. Say yep. somehow this huge massive change comes in three years. That work doesn't finish because now you have to sustain it. Yeah. You know, it's almost saying like, oh, I built a house. Now I can just not clean it or, you know, make sure the pipes are maintain it. Yeah. No, anything you build, you must maintain. Yep. So... Yeah, I think that's kind of, as you mentioned, a correction is a great word to use because it's the idea of it is it's this just one little push. Like you're walking, oh, I just need to push you back into the straight and then you're good and I can right. leave you alone. Like a training wheels. No, those training wheels, I feel, in any movement or anything 
stays on forever because it's the movement doesn't end. The idea doesn't end. And once you accomplish an idea, it then needs to be maintained and uh, polished up, so to speak. Right. And I think, too, you sort of hinted at a good point here, which is it, it seems very – there were points in the article that seemed very um, – very like Brooklyn intellectual liberal to me, which I think perhaps it was honestly, but it's sort of like the like high and mighty where it's like, well, I mean, sure. Like maybe three years is a long time, but he was in the story saying like, well, we're all going to die of global warming anyway. So it's accelerate, accelerate, accelerate. And it's like, dude, this isn't a startup company. you know? Right. And like it's a, and I thought that was interesting just because it sort of seemed like, I don't know. It, it was just sort of a, a, I, I really wanted to bring that point up because I, I think for anyone and Mike has not seen this documentary yet, but for anyone who watched the fire festival documentary, I got like very Billy McFarlane vibes from this guy where it was just like, I don't know where your headspace in particular is at, but it seems like it it's not going to work politically. And, and yeah, to me, that's why extremes just, because I, I don't think they touch base with the majority of Americans mm -hmm. or the majority of really anyone in any country because he's right. There's no question that sure. climate change is a huge issue and we are all going to die if we don't figure that out. But the day-to-day -day person can't really worry about climate change because they worry about paying their bills, paying their right. – and the, the, the hypocritical thing, as I kind of said, that in my mind is he's trying to say that they're trying to help you know, less fortune, try to help lower econ, uh, you know, uh, lower econ socioeconomics and mm -hmm. such, which is, which is great. But the, you can't say climate change when you're just trying to get food on your plate every day. Right. There's, there's many struggles. That's certainly, you know, a, a at the macro level, yep. a problem, but there are a ton of micro problems that every, people live with every single day. Yeah. The, the idea, the one that really popped out to me that I was like, really was the, the anecdote here that a woman um, after AOC was elected to office, uh, she had to take a day off because she was so emotionally just mm. spent and excited for it. And you know what? A lot of the people that she represents AOC are the people that can't take a day off. Who she right. you know says her voice is, they can't take a day off from work because, oh my God, the emotion of the day was just so great and wonderful. People have to go to work every day and yeah. every paycheck means something. So to me, it was a little off base because, and that, maybe that's why when I view it as an extreme, yeah, to them, their heart may be in the right spot. Their mind may be in the right spot, but they're not seeing it yeah. through a lens that a lot of people can see. Just a small extreme part of the country can see. Right. I think that's totally right. One of, one of the, uh, so I think sort of what you were getting at too, is it seems like there's a, um, Rather than the ideologies that they're presenting, I think it's it's sort of a branding issue, right? Because mm -hmm. the this segment of the party is centered around what is called a, the Green New Deal, which is sort of in its construction currently like a, a bare bones agenda of sorts. Um, but um, in the piece, uh, Claire Malone was able to lay out the broad goals of the group, which is um, to draw down and limit greenhouse gas, renewable energy, and then train people for new and more sustainable jobs. I think ev like probably I don't well, I'm not going no, to I'm not going to put a number on It's who an idea in that everyone or not, but can, it's a good idea. can get behind. And I think, you know, we didn't we 
obviously do it. Everyone knows we do a lot of talking pre-pod yeah. and then we get on. But I think it's something that people in just general should take. Yep. Here's a problem. It's climate change and it is a real thing that's happening. So why not look to the example of Obamacare where when it passed, you had people who loved it and people who hated it. Mm-hmm. And because people hated it so much, it was always this thing that you had to, oh, well, we're going to repeal it. We're going to repeal it. We're going to repeal it. Rather than trying to get, I'm not saying he Obama shouldn't have passed it or he did a wrong thing. I'm just looking at that example we know from it. Now, it's pretty popular. Right. It was actually a thing Republicans are now, well, no, we're not going to, we're not going to repeal it. Uh, sure. We're going to keep some things in there. So under an, under a new green deal, and this is why I think it's so important branding. Right. Don't brand it as an extreme left thing. Brand it as an idea because you immediately automatically think, and I think on both sides, if you say it's a socialist idea, yep. Republicans aren't going to like it. If you say it's a Trump idea, Democrats aren't going to like it. Right. Where it could be in both times, it could be a great idea. If you look at, that was the point of the Obamacare example is name an Obamacare, Republicans hate it. Now it seems like the country actually is seemingly okay with yeah. it. This new D, new Green Deal thing could be a similar thing where if you try to get a group that understands bipartisan, kind of shows why it's so important, people can say, hey, you know what? Let's give this a try. Let's see how it is. Yeah. And they might actually like it. I, th- I think you're right. And that's, I think a big part of this too is the, to me, what I see the brand, if I remove all of the sort of connotations I got from the piece, which uh, of, of these people that she laid out in the piece, um, the deal is not really the extreme part. The extreme part is the shift of who is telling you about this new good, good thing, right? It's these young, often like younger women of color who are spearheading this initiative. Uh, this uh, She points out in the piece that it's sort of like the freshman um, electees, the four mm-hmm. men women who were elected in 2018. And I think, I think that's sort of the interesting part of it. And it's not, it's not an extreme idea in the sense that people should be like shocked by it. It's just like, Oh, these are new fresh voices that are getting representation and telling us what they think and standing hard fast on their ideals. And I think I, if, if I can sort of take off my reporting cap and just look at it as like a person, I think that representation is like sort of important, right? Because it's, it's a unique change in the voice, which uh, maybe brings us to the fact that the, the sort of main figurehead in this article was just like a young white dude that seems to have like a a good amount of backing. Yeah. And just to, to clarify the four women um, are Ayanna Presley, Boston, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ihan Omar and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, who obviously is AOC, AOC who I previously yeah. mentioned. And if, you know, career in politics doesn't work out for AOC, she's got a great path set up for herself for Instagram food person. No, I didn't know. I actually don't follow her on, on No, I follow, I follow oh, her on dude. Twitter. I actually follow all those people on Twitter, but I... I her latest one, she made a uh, lasagna soup while talking about policy. Hmm. She did like a... I, uh, I don't know what it was. I want to say it was like a curry dish of some sort. I'm not a huge earlier. Instagram video person. I know I'm there for the pictures. I'm not, yeah. It, it was on her stories. Oh, uh, like yeah, a li- like yeah. a live stream. I see. I mean, it's a good political. I mean, yeah, for no, a, it, it, for a politician. I'm just like, out oh of loop. Yeah, I got to get on those Instagram stories. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about? Um, sure. Their, I don't even know what you're gonna say, but sure, let's do it. No, I was gonna I was gonna ask if you wanted to touch on their uh, their stance on the 2020 nominee for a minute i think it 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 was interesting because you had two separate 
ideas mentioned in it. Uh, one by Sean, we'll go by, uh, we're still not unsure of his last name, but yes. who said really it doesn't matter who the, the nominee is, they can get their ideas to that person. I think they specifically said maybe we can make Joe Biden and Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> type of thing. Uh, and then they, it was another person, uh, Mitchell, I can't remember his first name, I'm trying to find it here. Um, um, yeah, you try to find it and I'll just kind of yeah. go on what he said. Oh, here it is. Uh, Maurice Mitchell, the uh, first person of color to head the Working Families Party, who basically said that doesn't know. I mean, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. Uh, th- and that's, I think, what we were saying last week on the podcast was the brand matters. It's not a blind resume NCAA tournament team oh, or just yeah. let's put person A in there and we'll get our, our agenda across, yep. which to me, again, doesn't really – that doesn't the, – you might have won, but to me, humanity and society and country in the global sense isn't about winning. It's about rising as a group. And if you just kind of backdoor a plan in, kind of like the cult sneaking out in the middle of the night, that's not how like that's not how you're supposed to do things. And then it's just going to be trying to be repealed by the next people that come in. Yeah. I don't – yeah, see – Which I, I think it, that that's the point of I think Maurice Mitchell's idea is there's got to be – the person who was elected matters. It's not sure. just a oh, figurehead yeah, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, I th- I think that's right. I I would just say that I sort of I I sort of get both sides, but at the end of the day, like you do, sort of have to play. You have to politics is a game, right? Like people are scheming against each other to try to like get a foot up. Yeah, and it's it, but it's it's quite disrespectful, I think, to the entire Obama administration. Just say, well, it didn't matter that he was black and he was like the president. Like, no, that matters. Oh, yeah, for you sure. Know, it, that definitely matters. Right. Yeah. It, to say to say that a um, wait was that in the story? Did I no, no, part? it wasn't in there. Oh, but okay. the but the idea was it doesn't matter if it's Joe Biden or Beto O'Rourke or sure anyone sure. Just get us right. a president. We, and then they will owe us the sort of they right. I, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see that one. Because at the, in particularly like sort of entrenched political figures like a Biden or a O'Rourke a little less so, but Biden certainly. I mean, he has his own set of agendas and the way he plays the game. And I mean, frankly, he doesn't really need the younger say. members of the party. Like he he is an established figure. He's like a 70-year-old man. Well, and actually, it, it, it kind of misses the point <clears throat> of what we talked about last week is one of the groups that the Democrats are looking towards is maybe that the, the complete opposite of this. The right. person who can reach out to potential Republicans who are tired of yeah. uh, or who, who want to change, but they don't want this type of change. They just want, okay, let's get some more... Uh, right and stability maybe to his office. maybe to giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt maybe he just understands that that's more who they're looking right. for and his stance was well if we support them like maybe they'll i mean he was pretty steadfast in the fact that they would then owe them and they'd be able to push policy forward but i think it should be more of a hopeful outlook because frankly i don't think that's going to happen but yeah and I'm i'd also don't like that analyst, aspect to it so. as well saying like <clears throat> They the the asking for like mentality. yeah no yeah. if you're you should be backing someone because you believe in that not because you want a favor that doesn't see I'm less concerned about that because I I think it's like a more realistic understanding of I how agree no we were talking work. we were talking off pod <laughs> in, in this conversation Montana's and it, actually the entire pod Montana's looking at a very through the glasses of a, a realist and I'm more in an idealistic world whether yeah. 
maybe somewhere in the middle is a, a good compromise. But yeah, it's interesting when you yeah, it's hear sort of both funny because that part in particular, I was like a little bit more of like, oh, okay, well, at least like this dude's not like like he understands how politics works, whereas like you were rubbed the wrong way by it. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think politics <clears throat> has to work that way. It is. You're right. It does work that way, but it shouldn't. And I think in order to change it, someone you have to start somewhere that the person's like, well, no, that's nice that you, I appreciate that you came to my campaign dinner, but it doesn't really mean anything. I don't care if you want this done. And I get that's how it is, Yeah, but it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't be that way. But I mean, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next thing we want to talk about, we sort of touched on the idea of privilege a little bit in this last topic, but we are going to jump head first into the idea of privilege, but more, more so than privilege, um, the idea of like newsworthiness to me, which is the today show. And, um, let me get this, um, go through your notes. Yeah, here we go. Maybe I should have typed it out the, either way the today Savannah Guthrie of the today show interviewed Nick Sandman. Uh, I believe that aired two days ago. I could be wrong. Um, who is infamously at this point, the, um, 16 year old who was wearing the MAGA hat as the uncaptured on video as the native American man drummed, um, at an, it, it was like a protest event of multiple protests. I'm actually not quite familiar with there were a that few. gathering. Um, the thing that jumped out to me about the today show interview is I was, my thoughts immediately were just why, what, that simple like why are we why are you doing this like why is he being interviewed this seems like a poor like media judgment i don't know what your thoughts on that are mike but i i just like why are you doing that? and then when you watch the interview it was it had like no teeth it was basically just providing someone who had been given a pr statement a platform yeah, well i think it's it's difficult it was never going to have teeth because it's difficult to grill a 16 year old. I mean, whatever it, it just is what it is. You're, I mean, you, we, we can go, we can go over countless, I mean, countless is a lot, but we can go over examples of far more serious crime, crimes, mm-hmm. murder crimes and such where is a 14 or 15 year old, are they a juvenile? Are they tried as adults? What's the deal here? There's a discussion here. So to grill a 16 year old probably would not have been, it just wouldn't have come off visually good for today. It would have been weird. It just would have been weird. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think Whether they should a, have or shouldn't, good, it just, it would have looked weird. That's a good point though, is the articulation of the new, uh, the specifying the news source, right? It would have been weird for today. But I think the frustrating thing is you haven't seen... So another part of this is these... But kids, I think and I this, think the reason why I think they did it was because there's a, there's a poor stance in journalism where you have to hear both sides um, because yeah. it's... Oh, we heard one side, we heard the other side. Where And I think this, this doesn't necessarily fall into the example I give where if one side... If a million scientists say climate change is real and one says it isn't, you have both sides in there and it doesn't really matter. This was just a weird situation because I think, I, I don't I don't know. There's off. a number of reasons why they could have did it, but I, I, I wouldn't have, I don't know. Yeah. Well, We've talked, I, I don't know. I'd like to know where the, the meat of this entire story is. Yeah. So a couple of things. What, first of all, to clarify, this is not, this is a, we're talking about the news and how the news handled this, right? Yes. 
for today, I agree. I totally agree. And I hadn't thought about that before because today is sort of like a fluff show, right? It's like, we're not like breaking news on the today show. That's like about the Catholic pre like, it's not well, and I think by any I means, think it right? would have been just weird because you can watch the video and it's uncomfortable and it's a lot of things, but to gr- to grill like you know bring some hard hitting questions to someone who well, you could ask for most, one no I know but for for the most part yeah I know you could yeah you're right <laughs> grilling is probably strong but you could have but I go ahead I, I like I said I don't as media coverage I don't quite grasp why this story had so the legs which meaning it it continued in news cycles that it did when there are a lot of other stories that show racism in action. Oh, sure. I mean, the Laquan McDonald news was less play. It was more played down than this. A, Great point. A couple of things. The thing that I think I find so annoying about the point that you made. No, n- hold on. <laughs> let, let me backtrack. That was wrong. The thing I found annoying about the reality behind the comment that you made was that Yes, the Today Show is not perhaps the venue to have that. Let's like talk through this with this 16. Which is why he agreed to go on that show. Right. The annoying thing is it was the only representation that wasn't Fox News where they were just basically given like a like a or Rush, uh, not Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, where it was like on Fox, they were brought on and it was essentially under the guise of like, this is okay. And you guys were villainized and you didn't deserve it. And then Glenn Beck's just talking about it and making t-shirts. And then you have the president tweeting about it saying they were wronged, but you don't get a response from, so like about hearing both sides of the story, the only other side of the story you got was just the today show, which asked softball questions. You didn't get a CNN interview with, I mean, whoever would interview like Don Lemon or something, but <laughs> like, yeah, like you didn't get a MSNBC interview or even like a, a interview with the times or anything like that. You didn't get the other side of it. And I think to see that as the only representation of let's hold this part, no one's feet were held to the fire. Basically it like you didn't actually, all you did was put somebody on TV. You didn't have a conversation. And I think a lot of times, especially now these media outlets are like, well, we're, let's host the conversation. Then. Well, you didn't have a conversation. You just allowed two people like you, in their defense, they let uh, Nathan Phillips come on and speak as well, but they didn't talk to the Israelites that were there. So you didn't even have all sides of the story. You had two of the three and you basically just let the person who was in question as like the quote unquote, like villain is not the right word. He was sort of, I, to me, he seemed, he came off as the antagonist, but you didn't, you didn't have a conversation. Well, you just nail it right on the head. You have this one kid, the 16 year old, then you have the native American man. And then you have the Israelites uh, in the background chanting as well in Washington, DC on the day of marches and protests and everything. There is a ton going on. And the reaction of it all is through Twitter, just tweets, which are small characters, Facebook posts, there's there's not nuance there to dive into every single layer, which there's, a, right. as you mentioned, you the, the thing that we just described, that's a very complex situation. That, yeah. I mean, that's a that, full slate, like 1,500 word essay. And that gets into media in general, where instead of interviewing both people and just giving them a one-on-one to 
explain their side of the story, report, find what happened, what is going on, rather than one side says this, the other side says this, and each side is implanted rightfully or wrongfully in a political party. So whether you agree, you you might actually disagree with the repercussions or how one aside, so you could be a, a, a Democrat saying, "Hey, you know what? Maybe they were a little hard on that kid." And people are like, "Why are you like? Why are you being a racist? Or why are you saying that?" Or you could be a um, a, a Republican saying, "Wow, that kid was being kind of a jerk. Why would you do that? Are you a socialist? Why do you think you, there? There's no nuance. You're either right or you're wrong. And I think that's in the conversation. What you said, there was no conversation, yeah. and the way things reported, it doesn't. We're not keeping score. We're not tallying wins or losses. I think we're talking about issues and the resolution of issues, which there may not be a win or a loss. And you have conversations, but it's difficult to have conversations when you're either right or wrong, which is what people want to know is, well, who was right? Who was wrong? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure that the, the Times and other places covered this with a little bit more nuance, but I think the... I, I think this is a lot of journalists' frustration with television news is it's just... If the goal is to make compelling television, you should not be the voice of journalism in that instance, right? And I think, like, I don't know. I think the two parallels that came to me were that I remembered of people being like, why are we doing this interview? Were Alex Jones, and it was this. And Alex Jones, people were like, why are you doing that? And I personally thought that was a good interview. She held his feet to the fire. I believe that was Megyn Kelly, who is like not the greatest journalist in the entire world objectively and recently got fired because of her comments about blackface. But she like held his feet to the fire and it was like, okay, that's a, that's the dialogue. Like what you've done there was you achieved the goal of fully having the conversation You've challenged him on his ridiculous ideas about Sandy Hook, and he did not handle it well because he he wasn't supposed to handle it well because he doesn't know what he's talking about. You prove that he is indeed what everyone thought he was. In this instance, I get the idea that it's like people are concerned about a sick. He's sixteen. He's young. He's young. Whatever. I mean, I I am math is eight years <laughs> older. I'm eight years older than that kid. And I knew, like, if I went out and did that, I was like, oh, there might be Eight video. Eight years is a long time. 18 yeah, but to 26 But I is, know that there is not, video. I know, I'm math. Right? Like, it's not it's not rocket science in 2019 to be like, I'm going to go to these protests. Oh, yeah. And then and he saw. In the face. Like, there's video. Like, you know what's going to happen. And the idea of, like, well, he's young. He's naive. He doesn't know what he's doing. That kid knows what he's doing. Well, I think and the, the key would be whether he's old and that the idea that people can change, and I think that's something that is lost in the judgment of right and wrong. And the idea that came up to me, and it, it gets back to what I was saying about labeling and who won, who lost, what's right, what's wrong. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand uh, mm. was on CNN, and they asked her about her policies on immigration that were very, that actually fell right in line with the Trump current yeah. um, policies. And Jake Tapper asked a wonderful question and said, if the policies are racist now, were they not racist when you supported them? Right. And she went on and basically said yes, but without saying yes. Right. To a degree. She said, you know, she she learned about stuff and here and there. And I, I read a take on it. And it was interesting because it would have been nice to just hear her say, yeah, that it was racist. That's not right for me to say that. You know, yeah. things don't change. 
uh, people can have, people can think something racist and then change and then yeah. be enlightened. The problem being if she, and I don't know if this would have happened, but it's just an idea of maybe why she didn't say that. If she had, you know, the headlines, Gillibrand says she right. was a racist. Right. So there's no conversation where she gets back to the way media is covered. Uh, I think actually AOC had a similar take on it where I disagreed a little bit, um, but she was on Stephen Colbert and she was asked how many Fs right, she right. gave about the opinions of Democrats. And she said zero. Politico, The Hill, all these others said AOC gives zero Fs about, which I thought was kind of fair, but it is. It's because we're journalists. We need people to read our stories. So the headline does need to be yeah, somewhat yeah. enticing, but it also shouldn't lose the essence of the story. Right. It and, still has to be true. Right. And, and in here, with with just having people saying what they're saying, we don't know what happened. Like, you watch the stories and they're like, this happened, this happened. We don't know else what happened because a lot of ha- a lot happened. And it's like, well, right. what what did I just see other than a bunch, two sides outraged and then a third part? There's yeah. a lot going on and you don't really know what to fall on. And I'm one of those people, yeah, I'll say what's right and what's wrong, but I need the information. We, right. don't, we shouldn't jump to conclusions. And I think I, I think that is exactly the point. Yeah. is. Cover it, but we cover need it. The sto- exactly. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it. Like this isn't – journalism is important. And if you're going to make the attempt and you're on the Today Show for God – like you're going – those people don't make a little bit of money. Today should want that interview because it is They're providing information, not because yeah. they want people to watch the interview exactly. that they That's have. perfect articulation of that. If the goal is to get viewers, you should not be doing the interview. Full stop. And I think that – I mean this – Talk about a perfect segue. Uh, Bobby Finger of it's who the Who Weekly podcast. Um, he had a tweet speaking on the recent news that um, BuzzFeed, in addition to other companies, um, HuffPost, AOL, Yahoo, and then a couple of Gannett companies, which I'm sure you have an opinion on, Mike, um, were going to be letting people go. And he said is particularly disheartening and distressing to read news slash rumors about the upcoming media layoffs, all the little career and financial anxieties slash horrors that have built up and don't really ever go away when this mess represents some of the highest paid work in the industry. And it is a quote tweet of the today show, which says, what was your reaction to Nick Sandman's interview? And Nathan Phillips just says, I was upset. Pretty good articulation of not having the conversation. Wow pretty objectively good journalism or journalists are losing their jobs. And I mm. think that sort of presents us with the position we're at today with a lot of journalists who are just frustrated by the state of parent companies and the idea of layoffs to people who aren't, are just doing a good job, you know? Yeah, if, and if I get philosophical, I don't think that specifically newspapers too are supposed to make a lot of money they're supposed to profit i understand that right but they're not going to you make huge margins because it just just not it's not i mean i i I don't know what to put it i've been doing it for almost a decade now and they just don't do and they continue to cut but it is in a way i believe a public service where you're providing information so people can then vote for who they believe is the best candidate and i don't know how a republic or a democracy works without that information being yeah. unbiasedly presented. 
It doesn't really. I think, yeah. So basically, like I said before, BuzzFeed, uh, HuffPost, um, a couple, I mean, BuzzFeed and Huffington Post are big sites. They hired a lot of people. I think, I believe that Huffington Post eliminated their entire opinion staff. And this comes obviously on the heels of uh, and Paul Farhai of the Washington Post wrote about it. Um, this, this has been happening recently a lot with uh, Vice has instituted a hiring freeze. Uh, Refinery29, Vox Media. Mike is the most like sort of uh, perfect example where it's like, Mike bit, which is essentially a video media company that's based around who watches their videos on Facebook. They cut their entire staff. It's just the two owners now. It's not going to stop either. No. And let's, so let's talk about uh, you. Mike is a lot more um, in tune with the inner workings of like specifically like the newspaper business and parent companies. I think because you've worked at a couple of more I than have. I have. I've worked at Gannett as well. What do you think about the the Gannett stories? Because there's more than one story. There's obviously they're cutting people, but then additionally they're they're in talks to be bought by Digital First Media now, right? They are, yeah. Um, I, it's it's difficult because I've been through a number of layoffs. I can't remember if three, four, or five. There's like two blows because you then lose people in the department, mm-hmm. which is one. But then the second thing is, you know, it's not the, it's not like, oh, okay, you know, I still have my job or, you know, it's really sad to see reporter or copy editor X go, right. but we have to, you know, move forward. You know, another one's coming. Every time yeah. there was a layoff, I was like, okay, well then, but there's another, another one. And yeah. you think, how can they, and they always find some more. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's a, quite a few articles out there about digital first media, um, the kind of their, their tactics of, Buying papers and then really kind of gutting them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Denver Post Denver is po- one of yeah. them. Boston Herald's another one. So, I, 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 yeah, I don't know how. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how journalism functions. I don't. I, yeah, I'm at loss of words because it's just it, to me it's kind of self-explanatory. If there isn't a fair press and keyword on fair, because I understand like there are there are, the the yeah. the slanted agenda media is just as responsible as because i understand that but then you can have commentary there's a place for that but it call it commentary don't call it right what it what it isn't um it, i don't know and because the the crazy thing the reason why i feel a little different now than a couple of years ago is it seems like more people are ingesting news more than ever right mm-hmm. now so if, if people can't succeed now then I don't understand how it's going to happen, and, and but I don't know if readers necessarily care. Yeah, I actually just to add something to this, I saw that uh, Condé Nast is looking uh, at the. I think it was by the end of the year they're going to have all of their publications behind a paywall too, which includes Pitchfork, which is like one of the largest music sites up, and it's just it's it's a really strange time in journalism. I don't know of another option other than. If, it's difficult because yeah, you need to get paid. So paywalls are it. And I know they weren't at the beginning and maybe that was the, right. The fatal flaw in it all, but yeah, it's, you got to pay for, for a product. And yeah, I mean, people aren't paying for newspapers anymore. So if they're only, and these are digital, huge organizations, to, like as you mentioned, yeah. they're still doing better than local 
small oh papers God, yeah. and that that if they're gone no buzzfeed the washington post the new york times yeah they're not covering the Fairhaven no. City Hall, Town Hall committee meeting. They're not covering the yeah. city council meeting in New Bedford, what the mayor of New Bedford says. And then you, you really just run yeah. wild. Do what you want because I mean, who's who's holding you in, yeah. in place? So in here it says Vice is looking to cut its workforce by about 10 to 15% this year. Vice's 10 to 15% of its workforce probably equals about two of the entire Standard Times and Hathaway Publishing workforces. So it's not like... These are a lot of people that are being cut off, but think about like particularly to me, it's that you brought this point up, I think maybe a week and a half ago. It's these are Econet, These are capital papers. The yeah. Tennessean and Nashville, the Clarion Ledger, in Mississippi, Ledger. what's the, the Detroit other, paper, the Detroit free press, yeah. um, Des Moines, the Des Bo- uh, yeah. that's, that's Iowa. Everyone goes to Des Moines for the election. That's yeah. a huge paper. It's a big deal. Yeah. The, I so yeah. I I think to me this was a fitting place to end just because of I I read that tweet that I I read off earlier and I was just like, "Yep. It sort of hit the nail on the head. This is a uh a frustrating couple of days for journalism." Go buy some papers. Just, subscribe to yeah, some papers. Yeah, just sub- honestly just subscribe online. Like do But and, and but yeah, it's it's a, it's a chicken and egg thing because yeah. Now, a lot of the time, it's not worth the subscription because you're not getting a good product because there's no one there to produce right. a good product. So it, how do you how do you justify that cost? Well, to me, I've always thought that you you just go all in instead of like sinking slowly into the abyss of darkness. Oh, yeah. Hey, go all in, and if you you don't fa- you don't make it, well, hey, at least you tried. Rather than because right now you're not going to make it. I'm sorry, like they're yeah, they're point, not going to be around. Following these corporate structures that have been set up and have failed time and time again, unequivocally without anyone seemingly acknowledging that fact. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work and it's proven to not work. That's why media companies continue to sell newspapers. If they and shrink newsflash, if it was working, they wouldn't have to sell them. So yeah, it, but we can end on a good note though. Cause next week we have our, uh, Yes, we Our will Super have Bowl a drastic, bet. drastic shift next week. Um, we don't need to talk about what happened in any of the conference championship games. We can move straight past that. But I'm okay. We will talk about the. Uh, I won't give you any hard times. We'll talk about the Super Bowl next week, and I'm gonna in this well, a little bit at least. At least prop bets. We don't know if it'll be the full conversation, but we'll do our Super Bowl prop bet annual. Now it's second annual. Yeah, second annual prop bets, and then after we'll, that we'll run through it. Yeah, we. I mean, we have by, second annual Grammys. Big two weeks. For I'm excited bubble. for the Grammys. Yeah, as you guys know, I have thoughts and opinions about the Grammys. If this you've listened, this is a pretty for, big moment for the public. Second annual. We for back we're to back weeks. have second annual yeah. stuff. Good stuff. We've been a podcast for a long time, guys, and we appreciate you continuing to listen. For Mike Bonner, I am Montana Samuels. This has been The Bubble, and we hope you have us back.